Coming at you from the frozen tundra that is East Central Alberta, Canada. Streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, Float, Odyssey, Telegram, Twitch, and the Prepper Broadcast Network. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. I am Toolman Tim, and today is September the 1st, 2022, and this is episode 163 of the Workshop Podcast. We've been doing this 163 times so far. It just seems like we just got started. So how is everybody this evening? Uh, Cabot Porter just out there saying, always looking at uh, life on the bright side. So there's nothing wrong with that at all. Tonight, we got a grab bag, kind of a community sourced episode for you guys, which is going to be great. Always enjoy those. And before that, we'll get the announcements out of the way and then we'll get right into the meat of the episode. First off, I have not plugged this enough. But especially for my Canadian listeners, if you're looking for a good cup of joe or a good cup of brew, run by coffee. <laughs> try that again, Tim. CanadianCoffeeCompany.ca. I got some feedback from some of the first people that purchased some last month. The Handyman Grind Brew is, well, it's rather tasty. I enjoy it. I got myself a five-pound bag of it sitting upstairs that I've been drinking for the last few days. It takes me a little while to work through that. But if you're looking for a way to support the workshop, that is the easiest way to do it, especially if you're Canadian, because then you don't have any of the worries about getting it across the border, all that stuff. Number two, just before I went live, I got confirmation that 100% our interview is a go for tomorrow. So if you guys are excited, if you've ever read One Second After or the two follow-up books, the author, William R. Fortune, is going to be on there. And he is, he's coming on to have a good conversation. I'm quite excited. So I, I just chatted with him about a half an hour ago and he said 100% he's going to be on. So I just wanted to make sure so that I could plug the heck out of it between now and tomorrow morning at uh, one, 11 o'clock mountain time, one o'clock Eastern time for you guys. Really, really excited. I had two follow-up books. So Hunter's just asking, yeah, it's one second after, uh, one year after, and then the final day, I think I might have those titles incorrect. I've read them a couple of times now. I really should know that, but yeah, so quite excited. Hey, Snail Creek, how are you doing? And finally, if you guys want to meet up in person, the quickest, in, well, not quickest, but the easiest way to do that is the two places I'm going to be appearing live this month. Holy cow, this month. That's crazy. Prepper Camp in Saluda, North Carolina, the last weekend in September. Pick up your tickets if you haven't got there yet. I don't think they're quite sold out, but I think the price just went up because it's like last minute tickets at this point. But come by the largest outdoor prepper expo. Quite excited about that. And then at Self-Reliance Festival in Camden, Tennessee. The following weekend, I will be there as well. So if you haven't picked up your tickets for Self-Reliance Festival, you need to do that as well. Come by, meet up in person. I'm going to be speaking on turning content into currency, and I'm also going to be doing a roundtable discussion with John Willis and Billy Bond all about prepping. I can't even imagine. That is pretty exciting. That I that's that's um, some tall shoulders that I get to stand next to. So I'm quite excited. So those are the announcements. And today's tool is rather pertinent since we're talking about not burning your house down, grilling safety. I don't know how long it's been since I mentioned this product, but first alert fire spray. I put that shit on everything. Well, not quite, but it is the best 
Okay, it's not a fire extinguisher, but it's a fire retardant spray. It's biodegradable. I've actually sprayed it, I hate to say this, but I've actually sprayed it on a grill that was on fire. And let's just say the meat was still edible afterwards. I didn't catch anything, but the stuff's great. It's like $10 a can on Amazon. So it's cheap enough. You can buy a bunch of them and throw them all over the house so that you're all set. That is the, I, I love it. It's easy. My, at the time, 10 year old twins were able to put out a fire in the backyard with it. And it is just, you know, it has a five-year expiry date on it. You don't have to get it recertified every year. It's just a really good product to have. Not a replacement for an existing fire extinguisher, but way, way better than nothing else. Just going to shout out the community over on Telegram right quick. Looks like they're pretty active over there. And yep, there we are. We got Liberty Meat and Brian Young over there. Nice to see you guys. All right. So this week, we're going to start with This Week in the Workshop. Haven't done that segment in a little while. I've got a lot on the go. I wanted to share with you some of the projects I'm doing. Then we're going to get into some grill safety, a couple of generator questions I got asked, some feedback from the polymath episode all over the place. If you guys got any questions, you want anything dealt with, throw it in the comments. I will start and save it for later. I've got about four different chat windows over here. So if anybody's around, throw it up and ask away. First off, I'm kind of excited. I picked up two gallons of honey, locally sourced honey. It was Harvested one day, delivered to me the next. One of those gallons is going to be turned into very you know, sweet, sweet mead. And the other one's going to be canned up for long term. I got to ask you guys, have you ever had, I know honey lasts forever, but some of this wild honey I got two or three years ago, I don't know if it was something in the jars that I canned it in, but I had a couple of them go off. They started fermenting. It might've been that it was too warm where I stored them. I'm not exactly sure, but I had that problem. Maybe it's the wild yeast in it. I'm not really absolutely sure what happened, but the honey's incredible. I'm going to make sure it gets um, canned up properly this time, and we're going to you know, enjoy it. Not that we eat a lot of honey for uh, when we're on keto. <laughs> Hunter says drink it. Well, that's true. It just, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole nother story. Um, if you saw it, I harvested, I dried and harvested one of my favorite leaves this week. Well, one of my new favorite leaves. And then in Canada, I know what you're thinking, but it's not that one. Comfrey, my very first harvest of Comfrey. Got to thank my buddy, Chris Dixon, my friend from uh, Alberta here who brought me up three Comfrey plants earlier this year. I harvested the first batch of leaves off them three weeks ago, hung them to dry out in my storage container and brought them in to grind them up a couple of nights ago. And my fresh Comfrey is ready to harvest again. That stuff is like rhubarb. It grows so damn fast. Thought it was kind of cool. So I spent yesterday assembling furniture, which wasn't that bad. It was just a bed. But uh, yeah, if you guys have ever had any fun assembling, you know, uh, what do they call it? Prefab furniture, like Ikea, that kind of stuff. I had to surprise my daughter. I had three hours to get it done in the afternoon. Got it all put together, got her room rearranged and let her clean up the mess when I was done. Mounted her television to the wall. We picked up this really nice TV mount, wall mount from Amazon for like, I don't know, it was like 30 bucks and it had a swivel arm on it was good for up to a 32 inch television. So that kind of gets it up off the floor for. So if you're looking for something like that, remember you're not just limited to like flat wall mounts. You can also get those swivel arms and they give you a little bit of flexibility. I've enjoyed that quite a bit. I was in the city this week. So again, this one's, well, it's for everybody, but for my Canadian friends and especially the ones in Alberta, if you're ever in Edmonton, Beck's Silver and Gold and Antiques has the best price on silver now that I've ever found. Even better than the silver gold bull that I normally recommended for a long time. 
picked up some silver there for $28 an ounce Canadian, which was great. And then I went in and I saw these little one gram bars of gold. You know, they're about as thin as a, like a wax, wax paper or a gum wrapper. So I picked up a couple of those as well, but it was kind of neat. But if you're looking, I'm always looking for more precious metals. And the best way to do it is if you can save a couple of bucks. But yeah, if you're in Alberta, that's the place to check. And if you're in Canada in general, silver, silver, gold, bull, .ca or .com, can't remember the address right at the moment. They're the best way to go. And buy their random silver rounds. That's the cheapest I found. Usually save about 50 cents per round per ounce compared to anything else they sell. I've got tomorrow, big project we're working on. I got a thousand square feet of sod coming for the backyard. That's two full pallets. I'm going to make my son haul it all and I'm going to lay it down. Should be a good project. You guys will get to follow along on social media. I'll post up a bunch of pictures for you. It'll be, uh, it's going to be a good job and it's going to be hot, like 90 degrees tomorrow. So it's uh, not good, <laughs> but that's okay. I'm just, uh, I don't want to say I'm over the heat because winter will be here very, very soon, but I'm over the heat. Let's just put it that way. We went to the West Edmonton Mall last weekend for a family vacation, told you guys about that, and we had a really cool experience. They have this wildlife conservancy where people have surrendered wild pets or exotic pets that they're not supposed to have or couldn't look after anymore. And they had a couple of sloths there. And so they travel around the country and you get to spend half an hour with a sloth. You, you pay for the time or whatever, but it was so much fun. It was really cool. It made my wife's week. She loved it. And uh, yeah, Hunter said 90 in Canada. It's September. I know. Normally our hottest, you know, 30, 31 degree Celsius days are in July. In the entire month of August was 30 degrees Celsius. And we're under a heat warning for the next couple of days. I think like 31, 32 degrees, which is, you know, mid low to mid 90s so it's gonna be hot for a change but like i said i'll be bitching about the cold before long so <laughs> um kind of cool i if you guys have ever heard me talk about the forearm forklifts i love those they're an incredible product i did a review on them a while ago and just randomly the inventor the owner the ceo of the company reached out to me found my video and is going to send me a couple other products that he does but i just thought it was pretty cool that he was uh, very happy with the review in its honesty and just how I portrayed the product because it's a product I really like. And I always love when companies reach out to me who are companies that I use the product, that I respect their, you know, their product and what they stand for. It was kind of cool. Um, I'm in the process of planning out all my content for while I'm gone. I'm doing a, if you guys remember last time when I was in, when I went down South to Tennessee and Florida, I did a five part beginning prepper series and i'm going to do another four or five part on that so if you have any certain topics you'd want me to cover they're going to be like 15 to 20 minute segments that'll be in there plus my videos and uh, <laughs> yes and rachel brown said let's bring this up she said this episode is courtesy of my best friend bff almost blowing herself up 100 which started a conversation on telegram all about some of the stupid things people do, some of the stupid things I've done in the past regarding grilling and barbecuing. We're going to get right into that. I'm, I'm kind of excited. So <laughs> uh, it's always one of those things. And Rachel, yes, we need to hear the story. I think I'll probably summarize it, but Rachel, feel free to throw it up in the comments because it uh, 
yeah, it was one of those situations. So we're going to start out with uh, 10 tips for grill safety and some of the things that I've learned along the way. So beyond anything else, I got to say, grilling, the <laughs> a clean grill is a safe grill. Every time you're barbecuing, you got hamburgers on there, steaks on there, that fat and grease falls down inside and it builds up and it builds up. And eventually you get this nice layer that just all of a sudden wants to spontaneously combust, burn your house down, singe your eyebrows off. Reminds me, when I was in high school, 14 years old, I hope my kids aren't listening to this, and I used to smoke cigarettes. And I used to get rollies from my friend. And you know how they would always be loosely packed? And the tobacco would fall out of the end of the, the paper. So I would twist the end off. One day it was a windy day. So I did the old trick where you put your face down inside your coat to light your cigarette. And the end of that paper flared up and burnt my eyelash right off my face, right off my eye. I don't know if mom ever noticed it or not, but that's the kind of shit that can happen. Real stupid, right? So grilling, make sure you clean it. The products I love to use are spray nine for the outside and oven cleaner for the inside. I've tried some other things. None of them seem to work. I bought Mean Green cleaning solution for grills recently, and it was a mess. It, it worked okay, about half as good as any other, any oven cleaner I've used. Blue or yellow, they both work great. And it was just, yeah, not, yeah. So oven cleaner works good. Wear gloves if you're going to use oven cleaner because it'll burn your fingers badly. Um, pick up some of those tinfoil disposable grease pans, uh, you know, the drip pans that go inside so you can just throw them away. There's no sense in trying to clean them off. Scrubbing sponges or SOS pads. So what I do is I spray the oven cleaner on, let it sit for a while, and then just scrub the hell out of it. It seems to work better, gets all that off. Just do yourself a favor, put gloves on, put some cardboard down, pull all the loose parts out, clean them individually, then scrape down the inside. It's going to make your life better and it's going to make it a lot safer. So let's tell you, uh, Rachel sharing her story right there. I'm going to read it to you because, uh, yeah, so Rachel's friend had the grill closed and to turn the gas on, went to grab something, came back, opened it and tried to light it. Took off her eyebrows, her eyelashes, probably first degree burn, first degree burn on her face. Oh yeah. And warped about six feet of the vinyl siding on the house. Now I'm not going to judge her because everybody's done stupid things like that. Now, I will say that that's one of the first things my dad taught me about lighting a barbecue was never do it with a cover down. I'm not sure why, you know, the first thing I always do is open the lid before I ever turn the gas on. But if you don't know that and you've never been told, you might not know, but you're creating a bomb or at least you're collecting all the gas in there. You light that up and boom, off you go. Look like you got a sunburn or you're a lobster for the next 10 years, or no, 10, 10 days, 10 weeks, whatever. We got a surprise face or a wow face from over on Facebook. Oh, oh, I didn't know I could see that. Hey, Adam, I'm going to shout out to you over there on Facebook. Yeah, so <laughs> number one, do not leave your lid closed and turn the damn gas on and then open it up and light it. Oh, my God, that's bad. Bad, bad, bad. So number two, <laughs> if you can't get your barbecue lit right away, so you ever have that, like, First off, if you get those cheap push button ones that have the battery and they try to light, a lot of times they frig up and they don't work. So after 10 or 15 seconds, if your barbecue doesn't light, turn the gas off, let it air out, start again. Because you always have, especially if the air is kind of heavy, it can come, it can kind of condense there and then you end up lighting it and whew, not good, right? So if you can't get it lit right away, turn the gas off, 
let it purge itself clean, let the fresh air blow through for a couple of minutes, then light it again. Better safe than sorry. Now, another thing, uh, a lot of people don't necessarily know or don't think about, and this is kind of a safety thing. I'm going to go through both processes. So when you turn on the gas, turn it on at the source first, then come back to your barbecue and turn on your burners. If you do it the other way, you have the opportunity for more gas to get in there than it should. So turn it on at the source, come back to your barbecue. I like to do one burner at a time just to be safe. But here's the process. When you're turning your barbecue off, this is something sometimes people don't think about. Turn the source of the gas off first. Then once it let it run for a minute and the last of the gas that was in the gas line will purge through the burners. Once you hear them go, then turn your burner controls off. Because if you don't do that, you end up leaving enough gas in the line from the source to the barbecue that could be extra gas that you're not expecting and could flare up on you quick when you light it. So just, just another little tip, um, you know, always make sure your burners are turned off when you finish up for the day. Because again, if you turn the gas on, especially like with me with natural gas, it doesn't have that backflow preventer like propane bottles do, where if you turn them on too quick, they automatically shut down. So make sure your burners are off at the barbecue before you turn the grill on and when you turn the grill off at night as well. Uh, Hunter says, I had to light mine with a lid down. I uh, said, I had to light mine with a lid down to light the last burner until I fixed the sparker thing. <laughs> Poor guy. Yes, just be very careful. Don't do it unless you absolutely have to. This one should go without saying, but this was also from Rachel. I mean, kind of fits into that. If you got vinyl siding, well, number one, slide the grill away from the house, no matter what. Give yourself as much space as you can, but especially if you have vinyl siding, it don't take nothing to melt that shit and all of a sudden, boom, you're done. So keep it away from the house. Uh, watch your hands for burns. This is a safety thing. I'm going to tell you another funny story. I had a good friend in high school and early 20s that was a big pothead. He came to my house one day and his hands were all bandaged up. And I said, well, what happened? He said, well, I went to open the barbecue. And I said, okay how did you burn your hands by opening the barbecue he says because i grabbed it by the sides instead of the handle i imagine he was a little under the weather when he did it but just be careful because those things you know they can be four or five hundred degrees fahrenheit sometimes and you can hurt yourself badly keep a fire extinguisher on hand wow there are some you can really things can get out of hand really quick i had a flare-up at our old house by the garage one time and it was going up into the eaves never caught anything on fire but it would not have taken long for that to happen i turned it off did not have a fire extinguisher around i learned from that afterwards keep fire extinguisher around or my favorite the fire spray love that stuff something else i've learned use a damn meat thermometer with a long probe there's nothing worse than having one of them short little dinky meat thermometers trying to get in there and then something flare up and you burn your damn hand so get one of them oh something else get one of them long the one I recommend is a Smack brand. It's about six, four inches, five inches long, and then it folds out with the same distance of a probe. Before I forget, I'm going to try to do a better job for you guys. Anytime I mention a product or an item, I'm going to try to make sure I get that in the podcast description for you. I've already done that with all this stuff from my notes for you, so it's all in there. In case you're like, hey, Tim, what was that thing you mentioned? It should be in the description this week. I finally remembered that. And uh, Cabot says, stuff like that makes smarter friends or Darwin Awards. Ain't that the truth? 
And uh, Rachel says that her friend uh, is closer to the Darwin Awards. Oh, dear. Poor thing. <laughs> um, and one last thing. Use a non-metallic brush. So if you need to use a brush to clean your grill with bristles, get yourself a bamboo one. Now, I don't like the bamboo ones because I like to clean my grill when it's really hot. And I've used bamboo ones before where I've burnt the little bristles off almost immediately. So I use the twisted metal one. You guys will like that. Ryan Collette won our barbecue giveaway last year and he got all these products, but it's great. It's twisted so nothing can break off and it works really well because I had a buddy he went to college with that almost died from swallowing a bristle. A few years ago on Facebook, he's like, yep, just got out of the ER, was in there for two, or uh, ICU, he was in there for two weeks because one had got down in one of his intestines and punctured something. So it's nothing to mess around with. So be careful. What do they say? First rule of survival is you need to survive, right? Hunter says, fun fact, around here in apartments, it's illegal in some cities to have your grill on the balcony or patio. Yep, I have heard that. So there is, um, maybe this would be a workaround, I don't know. But years ago, we used to have a May Day. We call it May 2-4 weekend up here. We used to have a party at my apartment every year. And I couldn't have a barbecue grill where I was. But my friend's mother had an electric barbecue. And the thing was great. You didn't even barely know the difference. Looked like a regular grill. You just plugged it in. You can pick those up and they're a good substitution for sure. So yeah, uh, just be careful. All of that, all around common sense. You know, you never want to have gas in an enclosed environment because it's going to kill you, burn you, or blow you up. And it's probably going to be painful the entire time. So just use common sense. Also, give it an inspection every time you clean it. Go in there, check your burner tubes, make sure they're not broken so you got more gas coming out than it should. Just look around for shit that doesn't look like it should be, for sure, because there's so many things that can just easily go wrong. Uh, Brian Young says, for, uh, over on Telegram, he says, from someone who had to go to court because I had a grill on my porch at my last apartment. Oh, man. Yeah, so that kind of stuff happens, right? It is what it is. Um, yes, in Cabot, you're absolutely right. He says the continuous or twisted ones still break, just not nearly as easy. Two things I've noticed about the twisted things. They will still break, not nearly as easy, but the bristles are much thicker. So you're way more likely to notice it in your food, in your mouth, or on the grill than you are with those fine little hair ones, the little brass bristles that people use for a lot of years. So I like that too, because they're a big curve thing, as opposed to just a little tiny kind of straight piece. So yeah, just something to think about. Next segment. This is a lesson in persistence. Brian says Twisted Sister. Yes, great band. So if you guys follow me on social media, actually, probably the best place would have been through the Telegram group release recently. But I had to dig into the hive mind. We had to come together with the collective power of the community. I had a problem and we needed a, I needed a solution. Not we, I needed a solution. I have a storage container in my backyard. I rebuilt the fence and made it so that, actually I built a new deck, which now makes it impossible to get a skid steer in the backyard. I did all the work I needed to do before I, re, before I built the new deck. And now I needed to move this C-can storage container four feet to the west. So I thought I'd be smart. And I got an automotive jack out. I jacked it up. I put it on a couple of tuba sixes. And then I went and bought a come along. And then I proceeded to start ratcheting it into place. And it was a brand new come along. It was $69.99. And it lasted 
75 seconds. <laughs> I ratcheted that down. And you know why? Because I didn't take time to read the instructions. I thought I knew how to use it. I didn't. It had an extra, it had a pulley on it and an extra hook. That doubles the capacity on it, number one. But what had happened was underneath the sea can, it fetched up in the dirt and on a stick. I wasn't care on the skid. I wasn't careful enough. So I got real mad and it snapped it right in half immediately. That was it. And I'm like, oh, and I could just start to see the sea can move. And I'm like, what am I going to do? So I got pissed off. And then I put pictures on, yeah, Brian says sea can, another Canadianism. So as far as I know, the word sea can is only an Alberta term. I hadn't used it, hadn't heard it before I moved to the prairies, but it is something that is used all over the place out here. I guess sea container, sea can, I don't know anyway, but yeah, storage container, you guys know it there. Had to move it. I was mad. It was hot. I wasn't going to figure it out. So I brought it into the Telegram group and a bunch of different people come up with a bunch of different solutions. First thing I did was I ordered a slightly stronger come along and I learned how to use it. So I ordered a five ton instead of a four ton, which wasn't much, but I discovered that when you hook it back to itself and you run it through the pulley, it doubles the capacity up to the rated five ton or four ton. If I'd have done that to begin with, I might've been okay. Number two, I jacked up the front and the back. I dug all the dirt out from under it because sometimes you need to be persistent and you need to make sure. That was a big problem because it was digging into the dirt. Number three, Chris Dixon said, use Irish spring soap. And after I thought about it for a minute and realized he wasn't actually joking, I did that as well. So the skids, I didn't use Irish spring. I had Dawn dish detergent. I hauled the skids out. I lathered them down, got them good and wet, scrubbed it all in, put it in there. And about an hour later, I had moved that sea can storage container four feet to the west on the north and south side of it. So now I have a perfect place to build a lean-to off the side of my garage to store all of my repairedness, my zero-job lumber. It's all in, it's going to all be in there now. But if I'd have just given up and not come back and not chat it with everybody in the Telegram group and not used the hive mind to collectively come up with an idea, I probably wouldn't have got the sea can where I wanted it to be. So just remember, we talked about this the other night in the Fireside Freedom episode. Sometimes you get pissed off, you get mad. And for me, sometimes that's part of the process. I hate to say it, but sometimes I just get really ticked off and then I just got to walk away and be like, okay, Tim, take a breath. Think about it. And if I can't come up with a solution, talk about it. And then have someone else think about it and then bring it together. So find yourself a community, whether it's like-minded people in person or online and have a place where you can vent and share ideas because no one person can ever know everything that you need to know. It always helps to have other people around to beat ideas off of and for them to beat you over the head and call you a dumbass too, right? So next, this is a cool follow-up. So if you guys remember the other day, I think Brian Young was the one who brought it up and I think his question was, you know, how do you get everything done or how do you get everything done that you want to get done? And that was my episode on the concept of polymath, you know, being somebody that wants to know something about everything, but not having the time to do it all. And I had, I had one of the nicest comments, pieces of response, feedback from any episode I've ever done. And I wanted to share it with you guys. And I hope it kind of blesses you a little bit too. But uh, the lady's name is Marcy. And I got permission from her to share these emails before I did, because I, I wouldn't be saying her name if I didn't. But she said, I don't know you or how I ended up with your podcast playing, but I guess it was for a reason. 
I just wanted to thank you for that episode. It really hit home. I spent my whole life feeling like a failure, but I never considered that everything I learned was a small success. I also didn't know there was a term for the jack-of-all-trades idea. Thank you so much for validating my ex my existence with much gratitude from Ontario. How cool is that? That alone was great. And then she sent a follow-up, which made me smile even more. Because this is what this is the reason I do this, guys. This is why I love teaching and sharing. Because I remember listening to Jack and Nicole and a few other podcasters and having those eureka moments. And I'm like, wow, it's crazy how somebody, some talking head on YouTube or Apple Podcasts at the time or whatever can help you in your life. And that was pretty cool. So here's the second one she sent. She goes, it was definitely a light bulb moment for me. I had my headphones on listening while I was walking the dog this morning. I felt like my life flashed before my eyes and my ears. <laughs> when you said what you said clicked with me, I could literally reply every single moment of all that replay, every single moment of all that stuff and the things that I quit or incompleted. And instead of feeling the familiar feeling of failure and having wasted time or money on yet another thing, I replaced that with a running tally of all the things I do know. And holy shit, what a transformation. And not only that, but I also feel validated that I get bored of the usual things and seek new brain stimulations. Needless to say, my dog walk this morning was very uplifting. I actually felt productive by the end of the day. Usually I feel defeated and self-loathing for not scratching off enough of the to-do list. I really can't thank you enough. I'm a grown-ass adult. I didn't, I, I cut her age out there because she said how old she was and still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. But so far, homesteading seems to be the best fit for me. I get to do literally everything, anything I don't know how to do. I get out there and learn it. How crazy is that? So that just blew me away, guys. That, that put tears in my eyes and chills on my back. Like it was, it was pretty cool. It just meant a lot. And then I got another one from a user over on Fountain. So I want you, <laughs> Hunter says, girl, the same. Absolutely. So I want you to know that there's other people out there and we got to share the concept with people because otherwise they're not going to know. Right? So this was user. I didn't even copy the numbers over. It's just one of those generic ones like user eight, four, three, two, seven, eight, whatever. They said, Tim, I can totally relate to the hobby polymath thing. When my boys were in scouts, I was super into backpack camping and even bought my own canoe. I used to watch Dixie Mills on YouTube on camping gear back then. And man, that gear is pricey. Then it was dog training, then working out, then mountain biking, then knife making, then gardening, then seeing my own camping gear, etc. The list goes on. I figured out that I have to be careful with YouTube and new hobbies. I embraced it for sure. So that was pretty cool. So that's one of those concept guys. It's one of those things that just needs to be out there because so many people feel overwhelmed with, I need to get the next thing done, but they, they just feel like I get that done, but I didn't get this done. And I feel like a failure or I was really into this for a while and now I'm not what's wrong with me. Why can't I stick with anything? But that's not the case. You're just different. Your hobby is hobbies. <laughs> you collect hobbies. You collect knowledge. You collect skills. It's what makes your life have meaning. And that is totally fucking okay. And it took me years to figure that out. So I just want you to know it, okay? 
So Cabot Porter says, what is your three, five thing list you use? So this is something that I love. I came across it a couple of years ago. It, it's worked great for me when I use it. I don't always use it and I should. And I think it came from a New York Times article, if I'm not mistaken, but it's the one, three, five method. And every single day in your planner, there's all kinds of different things. Nicole uses the my three things method. This is just something I came across that worked great for me. One, three, five. One very important thing, the big thing you want to get done that day. Three, medium size items, things that are important, but not necessarily as urgent. Maybe items that will help you get your yearly goals done. Five, less important things, busy items, things like clean up the deck, take in the recycling, just small little jobs, things that you want to get done that you don't necessarily get done because you're always too quote unquote busy. So those five things are the things that you fit in. They're the little pebbles that you fit into the holes of your day. And when you have 10 or 15 minutes, you're like, oh, okay, there's one of those five little things that I can do today. Throw it in there. It doesn't mean you always have to have one, three, and five things, but it works really well to keep you focused. It helps you get the urgent and important stuff done today. And it helps you focus on the long-term goals for the year as well. And uh, Brian over on, we got all kinds over on Telegram. Sorry, guys, trying to keep up on it for you. But uh, Brian says he's been collecting hobbies for years. And yes, it's definitely one of those things. <laughs> hobbies are, well, my hobby is finding new hobbies. It's always been that way. All right. So next, another question I got. This came through... Uh, not Telegram, sorry, Fountain.fm. This was one of the boostergrams that I got, and people are always asking me, hey, what was this thing you recommended? What was that thing? So that's why I'm going to try to get things in the notes a little better. I did a pretty good job tonight, I think. First one was, hey, Tim, what is the freezer alarm you recommend? I've talked about it all the time, but the thing is, there's always new people. I do people a disservice when I think, oh, I talked about that six months ago or a year ago. I can't talk about that again. Well, that's not true because probably 10 people weren't listening and all the new people haven't been here to hear it yet. So first off, the freezer alarm that I use is the GoV temperature monitor sensor. What do I like about it? Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. So I can log into the sensor on the app, on my phone, anywhere in the world, and make sure that my freezers are doing well. Now, here's the thing. It's not recommended for cold weather. I don't know. But I've used it for over two years. I have three of them over two years in all three of my freezers. <laughs> Never had an issue. Always keeps good temperature. The thing just sips batteries. It only sends a signal about every 15 minutes. I use, they take, I believe it's three double A's. And I use my Eneloop rechargeables which tend to not be as good in cold weather. And I've only, only have to change them about every six months, which is great. So the thing is, there's one drawback to them. And that is the app. The app is automatically calibrated to top out at minus 20. If it gets below minus 20 Celsius, it wants to send you notifications all the time because that's the maximum. But... I found a little workaround where you can calibrate it. You can offset it by about three degrees. And that usually is enough to get by that. But for me, I just use it as a monitor. I can log in anytime and check on my on my frozen 
you know, we have a, a great big freezer full of all of our beef. I got a side of beef coming. I'm supposed to pick it up tomorrow. Might be Monday, uh, might be Tuesday, but it allows me peace of mind to check on it. The thing about it is it's not perfect. Like I said, the app's a little bit glitchy, junky, but the product works great. But what I love about it is how much better it is than the traditional freezer alarms that we used to use that suck. You know the stuff that oh, Brian says, wait, a freezer alarm that doesn't work in the cold. It's not technically a freezer alarm. It's technically a temperature monitor sensor for like greenhouses and things. I just repurposed it and it's worked great. And I don't know why the company hasn't grabbed a hold of that yet. But the old freezer alarm systems, the ones that, you know, a lot of people's grandparents had them, chintzy little battery powered ones, the ones that Stephen Harris recommended for years because they were the only ones that were on the market and they sucked. I bought a set, had two sensors. The sensors held two AA batteries. I put them in my deep freeze. I put the magnetic sensor bar upstairs on my fridge and it would never keep a signal. I constantly had to reboot them and recalibrate them let them talk to each other. It would work for a day. They would die. Just junk. They just weren't reliable. They didn't make it through thick walls or old houses very well. And they drained batteries like crazy. The main base station was also battery, which was a pain in the ass because that took a ton of battery. Anyway, these are way, way better. So if you're looking for something to help protect your meat investment, your keto investment, whatever it is, these things are great. Links in the description, but someone asked, I couldn't find who it was, but it, I think it was one of those generic users on Fountain as well. So next was Tim. This came out of the episode I did with John Willis. It was a great episode. I've had so much good. I mean, John is just, John's a walking inspiration just to hear his story. He's great. But they asked, what was the fuel stabilizer you kept talking about? They said, whenever you said it, I couldn't quite make out what you were saying. It's because it's a really weird word. I think it's an acronym. I'm not sure. But it's P, so like Papa India Romeo dash golf. P-R-I-G, P-R-I dash G. There's also a P-R-I dash D for diesel. This is P-R-I dash G for gasoline. It's the best fuel stabilizer on the market. When you buy a bottle of it, it's more expensive than anything else out there, but you use so little of it that it ends up being the least expensive of all fuel stabilizers. The stuff is great. It takes about 10 milliliters per 20 liters or a third of an ounce for five gallons of gas. Now that can be a real pain in the ass to measure. So I save the old pet medicine syringes that we get or the ones, you know, like for kids, liquid Tylenol, liquid Advil, they're great. Get yourself a little 10 milliliter one or I don't know, an ounce one. I can never remember what those little small imperial sizes are and use them. It's the best way to do it. Now, here's the thing. Why do I like it so much? I've used it for a couple of years now, but if you go on their website and start reading through their documentation, they have paid, sorry, I shouldn't say paid. They have sent their product away for third-party verification completely unbiased and it has come back as the best product for a ton of different situations and it's the only fuel stabilizer on the market that will actually bring back old gas to like new use it also works with e 
E is it 87? I can't remember. Not the really, really far. They, they don't recommend it for the, the real heavy duty ethanol, but the next step up from it, totally fine with that as well. So if you're looking for a fuel stabilizer, go with that. Yes, Rachel Brown, you just reminded me of something. She says, those syringes are cheap at the feed store. Yeah, so I went to my feed store one day and I needed, it's like a 200 milliliter mix for mixing, for, you know, if you're doing mixed gas, those are great for that as well. I went in there and bought, you know, they're about an inch around and about four inches long and it holds enough mixing oil that I can do it in one. I just put a black mark right on it, suck it up, fill it up, and then mix it into the two and a half gallon jug of fuel that I have. Imagine living in Canada where we mix everything up. Yeah, that's a five gallon jug. That's a 20 liter jug. That's a two and a half gallon jug. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. But yes, those kind of things are great at the feed store. I might have to do a whole episode on preps at the feed store because there's so many good things at farm stores and uh, livestock stores that we don't necessarily think about. So this one was pretty cool. This was something in person. I went to pick up wings the other night. And the guy that was working there was like, hey, Tim, do you know anything about small engines? And of course, my eyes perked up, my ears perked up. I was all excited. I'm like, oh, I get to talk about small engines. This is great. So he has a mower that he got a few years ago, about three years ago. Hasn't had any service done to it. No judgment here at all because we've all been there. Just didn't know really that he was even supposed to do service. So this is what he told me. He said, it'll run for a little while. Then once it gets hot, it shuts off. He said, when I check the fuel, as soon as, it, or when I check the oil, as soon as it shuts off, he says, it's really thin and runny. But once it's cool and slowed down, it's really quite thick. He said, but once it shuts off, it won't restart for quite a while until it cools down. And I said, okay, well, there's a few things. So I talked him through it and I wanted to go through this process with you guys as well. So maybe it might help someone else out there. But like I said, it runs, it gets hot, it shuts off, it won't restart. So first off, one thing I was kind of concerned about was if the oil is too thin, some of the gas might be getting by the cylinder, the ring in the cylinder, and getting into the oil. And if that's the case, that can be a really expensive fix. And I told him if it's a cheap mower, it's not worth it. Well, it was a $1,200 push mower, so it might still be worth it getting it fixed. So I told him, smell your oil. <laughs> so get down there. And, you know, something you got to do is either pull the dipstick or get your nose right down over the reservoir and give it a sniff. And if it smells like gasoline, it's not a good sign. But if it doesn't, that's okay. But the reason I thought it could be was that, you know, when it's running, it's agitating everything up and mixing the gas and the oil. So he pulls the dipstick and it seems thin. It's also hot and it thins out. Now, once it cools down or he turns it off for a bit and the things separate again, I'm wondering if he's pulling the dipstick out and he's getting the thick oil from the bottom and it's passing through the gas sitting on the top. Just an idea. Anyway, I don't know if that's necessarily the issue or if it's just from the oil getting hot and then cooling down. But I said, the first thing I want you to do is check your air filter. If it's been three years, your damn air filter is probably so clogged up that as soon as it heats up a little bit and it really starves for oxygen, it can't get any. So he said, oh, okay, well, where's my air filter? This was on a Toro mower. Air filters are in different places, but a lot of times either they have a wing nut that takes them off or on a lot of the lesser expensive mowers, there's just a plastic clip cover on the other side. So you just depress it, pull it out. Now, if it's one of those paper filters, which I hate, take it, beat it on a counter, try to knock all the dirt off. Try to blow dirt off from the inside out through. 
but you're probably going to have to throw it out and get a new one, especially if it's been three years since you cleaned your damn air filter. Just a thought. If it's a foam one, put it in the sink, give it a good soapy, hot, warm water bath, then mix a little bit of soap, I'm sorry, a little bit of oil in it afterwards and put it back in. But he'd never done an air filter, so that's the first thing I told him to check. Then I said, check your spark plug because that could be fouled up pretty bad. And then again, he's like, well, where do I find my spark plug? So on most mowers, almost every mower, the spark plug is going to be on the top and it's going to be accessible or down on the side. But you're going to see a big black wire. It's going to come running out and you're going to see a rubber black boot there. Just grab it with two fingers when the engine's cool and pull it off. It'll probably make a little noise and then just use a socket to take it out. And it's probably going to be black and burnt and fouled up. Throw it out. Well, don't throw it out yet. Take it with you to the store and buy two replacements and put one new one in there. That might be enough to get your small engine up and running like perfect. But then I'm guessing somebody else there could probably guess what I'm going to say next. But I also said, <laughs> put some seafoam through it. I know, I know, I know, seafoam. I've never talked about seafoam before, but it's like goddamn magic in a can. Put a couple of scientific measurements of, you know, two glugs in a gas, in the gas fuel tank. Let it run for a while. It'll blow all that junk out of the carburetor. It's certainly not going to hurt anything, and it's probably going to get it running better. So those are the three things, spark plug, air filter, and seafoam. And that's usually enough to get most small engines up and running beautifully. But like I said, if the oil really is thinner than it should be, give it a whiff. He needs to do an oil change either way, but give it a big smell first and see if you can smell gas in there. If you're getting gas in your oil, you got a problem. But that's a story for another day for sure. Now... This was kind of a cool tip. I really like this one. This was uh, from Ridge Runner over on YouTube. And we were talking about generator accessories. And he said, just get yourself a cardboard box or a milk crate. Because you guys know I love my milk crates. Throw all your generator accessories in there. So for me, it's the splitter cable, my quick connect gas hose, and my electrical cable. Put them all in one box so you have them all together. Because, like he said, don't spread them out all over your garage. Who wants to be looking for all that stuff in the dark? He said, have extras, like like he said, talking about me. And he said, do you really want to go out in a thunderstorm or an ice storm or a tornado or hail trying to run down a damn $3 spark plug? I know I don't. Keep them on hand. Buy yourself a box from their cheap insurance. Because, so like he said, the parts store might not even be open. But I just love the idea of having a central area to keep all of your generator accessories in one spot so that when you need them, you know where they are. Plus, if you're not home, you can say, hey, hon, on the phone, this is where that is. You'll be able to find it. Train them ahead of time anyway so they know, but just good to have everything in one place. This next one, this was about the gen tent cover for generators. So if you're ever looking for some, I've always done the math differently on this. And I always said, you know, those gen tent covers are like 200 and so dollars and they're really, really expensive. They had mentioned that they were looking at the cover, the gen tent cover for a generator. And they said, you know, it might seem expensive, but I want you to take this into account. So he said, thanks so much for the review on the gen tent. He says, yeah, it's a little expensive, but in my particular case, it's not. Because uh, number one, I was going to pour a concrete pad. Then I was going to buy a shed. Then I was going to modify that shed in order to cut in large intake valves and outtake valves a big exhaust valve and a generator exhaust port the hours to do all that would have been easily 30 man hours 
and likely cost in the neighborhood of eight to nine hundred dollars US for everything. The tent sells for $187. So comparatively, it's a bargain. Math never lies. And $187 for a generator cover might seem expensive. And it might be if all you need is a dust cover to put in your garage. But if you need a way to run it outdoors in a nasty weather storm, $187 is a hell of a lot cheaper than eight or $900 for a permanent enclosure. Just food for thought. Now, this one here, this was from... This was our, uh, a question from a guy named Rocky, and he's asking about generator capacity. So if you have a house that you need to run your generator on, he came to me, he said, okay, there's a 5,000 watt. Oh, Hunter says, wait, 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 go back. I might have missed something. Go ahead, Hunter. You can uh, just throw it up there and I'll touch on it in just a second for you. So Rocky was saying 5,000 watt generator for a 960 square foot house. Do you think that's enough power? It's on sale for $7.99 at Rona. So Rona up here, I know that sounds like something else, is a big hardware store. And Hunter, I'll answer your question here in a minute. I'm going to start so I don't lose it. It's a hardware store called Rona. He said, loved your videos, but I'm just wondering if it's enough. Now, you know, you guys know I got the big like 9,200 watt tri-fuel generator. This is a dual fuel generator, 5,000 watt. And he wants to know, is it enough for a 960 square foot house? Well, when it comes down to it, a 1500 watt inverter running off your car is enough. What's enough? It's just a matter of what you want to run and what you have to have run. Okay. So first off, if you have a 5,000 watt generator, that is peak watts. You're going to get around 4,000 running watts with gasoline and around 3,200 running watts with propane. So you've lost 20% there. But 4,000 running watts on gasoline, that's going to be enough to run any 110, 120 volt appliance in your house. And more than likely, you'll be able to run your fridge, your freezer, and your sump pump all at one time, just as long as they don't all cut in at the same time. It's probably enough to run one, maybe two stovetop burners in your electric range. It's not going to run a central air unit, but it'll probably run one maybe two window units if you don't start them at the same time. It'll run just about any furnace. It just won't run any electric baseboard heat. So, I mean, we're talking 5,000 peak watts, 4,000 running watts. It's got enough to run just about anything. It's got enough to run a mini split heat pump air conditioner, but it won't be able to handle the spike on the startup. But that's okay if you want to take the time and install a soft start, which is one of my projects for the fall for my central air unit. Now, the thing is, a 5,000 watt generator weighs about half as much as the 9,000 watt that I have. And the regular price on the one I bought a couple of years ago is now 1,400 friggin' dollars. And I paid like 900 for mine. So he's going to get it for half the weight, half the price, which is going to be easier to move it around. But when it comes down to it, when it comes to generators, any generator is better than nothing. That's the first thing. You don't have to run your entire house off your generator. You just need to know what your bare essentials are. Make a list of the, the drop dead things you will not sacrifice on. And then figure out how many watts you need for that. And a lot of times you're going to find out you need way less watts than you necessarily need. In the summer, you're not going to be running your furnace. In the winter, you're not going to be running your air conditioner. 
in the winter, you can put food outdoors and, you know, you don't have to worry as much about things spoiling, just all of that. So give yourself some thought, give it some thought and say, okay, not is 5,000 watts enough. How can I make a 5,000 watt generator work for my situation? Now, I mean, you know, if you have some really sensitive, high use medical equipment that requires more than that, well, that's a whole nother story. But for the most part, any generator you have is better than no generator. And then do the math and figure out what exactly it is you absolutely need. And then run that stuff off it. And don't forget about cycling things in and out. Don't forget about storing fuel. I mean, in this instance, I would definitely try to keep gasoline on hand because you're going to go from 400 to 3,200 watts if you go down to propane. But two is one, one is none, three is a guarantee. So have both types of fuel on hand. You know, have six five-gallon gas cans that you cycle through that you run PRI-G through. And then next time you're at Costco or wherever you go, get yourself a 30-pound propane tank or two or three of them. Have them filled. Use them for grilling. Use them, but also refill them so that you have them. But have a constant source of fuel on hand because a generator without fuel would make a good boat anchor, I suppose. But anyway, so let's go back to Hunter's question. We were talking about the gen tent. So Hunter, I do have a video reviewing this product and it's pretty cool. But he says, wait, 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 go back. <laughs> you can run the Jenny with the cover on it. So the gen tent is a pretty cool product. If you go out in my garage right now, and you take a look at my generator, you will find four plastic brackets permanently mounted on each of the four poles that run up. So you've got four all the way around. They fold in. Now, when you're ready to use the gen tent, you take it outside, you fold the four brackets out, and then there are four pillars. They look like tent poles that make a crisscross that go over top of the generator, and then it has a two-piece cover that goes down. Now, this thing's incredible. It's burn resistant for way up. It won't melt or catch fire at temperatures that will exceed what comes out of your generator. It will allow you, it has a fuel door at the top that'll allow you to fuel it up with the cover still on. It'll hold up to, I want to say it's 80 mile an hour winds, up to 18 inches of snow and blowing rain. It'll allow you to have your generator outdoors in a storm running with the cover on. It's great. It has a nice see-through on the front, a little plastic area to see through for your controls. It doesn't, it doesn't restrict the amount of air coming in so that it doesn't harm your engine. The thing is a great product. I mean, it's worth 200 bucks if it's the only thing you have. My only downside that I don't love about it is those four little brackets are plastic. I wish they were metal, but other than that, it's great. An exhaust port, so the, the side where the exhaust is is open so that it vents properly. If I think of it, I will try to relink that video, and it might be time for me to do a new video on that because it, it's a product, it's a really cool product that just works, and you can get it in, I, want, I know mine's gray, you can get it in a tan brown, and there might be a black. Now, the only downside to it is, it's not super UV resistant. So if you're looking for something, I would never recommend leaving a generator, quote unquote, exposed outdoors for a long time, but it does have a one-year UV rating on it as well, or UV warranty on it as well. So if you're looking for a way to cover your generator, to get it out in the weather, and to allow it to run safely, that's the way to do it. It's a cool product. It works really, really well. 
and I enjoy it. Funny how we started on fire and we ended on fire. Hey, uh, Hunter says, thanks for that. I keep mine in the shed, but would like to have something over it when running it. It's great. I probably have pictures, but if you just search Gen Tent, all one word on my YouTube channel, you'll find the video. It's a really cool product. I've done a couple of expert counsel segments for Jack over in the T uh, Survival Podcast for it. And it's just been an all round really neat product that I enjoy. But guys, if you got any other questions, throw them up there. Uh, a couple quick thoughts as I'm finishing up with the content I had. Really, the big one is tomorrow morning, 11 o'clock Mountain Time, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. I got William R. Forgeton coming on. And what I would love for everybody out there in the workshop community to do is to share that link across social media. He has a broad appeal across all aspects of preparedness and a big following. And I want people to know he's coming on. I'm really excited. I, it's really cool to be able to meet people who have created things that you look up to, that you've enjoyed, and that you've read over the years. And I'm really excited to get him on here. He's an expert on EMPs. I'm going to pick his brain on that. He also has a really cool hobby of metal detecting, and he has a vintage World War II airplane. I don't want to give too much away, but just a really, really cool dude that'll be a lot of fun to pick his brain. He's even co-authored books with Newt Gingrich, if you guys know who he was. I believe the former Speaker of the House. Just an all-round, really interesting dude who has created, who, whose book was the gateway drug into prepper fiction for me. So it's always cool when you get that chance. But if you guys can do that, share that link. I'll have it on social. Just reshare the post wherever you can. It'll be a huge help to me. And it's going to be just, a, it's going to be a great time. I'm excited. It just, I love talking to him on the phone a couple of times. I've talked to him already and I'll do my best. So bring your questions tomorrow. We have him for an hour. So we'll get as much in as we can and we'll go from there. But anyway, guys, that's it for me. Do not forget to go by. This is our Thursday episode. Support the Prepper Broadcast Network. There's like We've got way over a dozen content creators over there. New stuff coming out every day of the week. So go by Prepper Broadcast Network. Subscribe. Add them in your Fountain.fm podcast catcher or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And as always, guys, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week. <laughs>